what most of us wouldn't give to go back to a time before COVID-19. But a return to pre-pandemic normal won't benefit everybody. It's no secret and no surprise that we're all more than ready to be out of this pandemic. And signs are encouraging. But when we talk about removing precautions, people in high-risk categories and with disabilities are often mentioned as an afterthought, a small group of people that will have to remain diligent. In reality, one in four American adults has a disability. This week, we talked to Ryan Honig, a DC-based disability advocate, speaker, wheelchair user, and founder of Wild Pitch Media. He answers our questions about how the disability community dealt with the pandemic and what gains they made during COVID-19. I'll literally start by undermining our show's name. The normal that so many of us are keen to get back to wasn't actually all that great for people of varying abilities. Can you help me and our audience understand why? Sure. So when we think about what this pandemic has done, there are so many things that the disability community has fought for, for long before this pandemic began, that the pandemic normalized. Right. So I think immediately of the prevalence of telework prior to the pandemic. So much of telework was thought of by so many as something that you do if you, quote, don't want to work or you're slacking off at home. All of these you know, negative connotations with telework. And then suddenly the pandemic happens. And everyone's like, oh, this is fantastic. And that's the very thing that allows a lot of people flexibility, especially when you have a disability. Telework is a godsend. And now it's been extremely normalized. I think about telehealth. Sometimes, obviously, you have to go in, but sometimes you don't. And it used to be that if you couldn't go into your doctor, they're like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna see you. We're not gonna prescribe. Now, the idea of having a Zoom appointment or some variant of that to get a prescription or to talk to your doctor about something that may not require you to physically be in their office, again, nobody thinks about it. I think a lot about the rise of virtual events. I mean, I'm a fan of live music. It's probably one of the things I miss the most as well as this pandemic for you know a good couple of years. There hasn't been the ability to go to live events and stuff. And there are plenty of musicians and artists who are doing events where they're saying, okay, well, you pay for a Zoom link or whatever, and you can watch me perform in my living room. That's great. So with all these positive changes that have happened over the past two years during the pandemic that have increased access, as you've been mentioning, is there fear that these changes will fade away or go away once the pandemic goes away? Well, absolutely. There's hope that it, it will stay. And I know I certainly hope so. But Again, I think as with a lot of things, there's this fear that, especially among the disability community, that, hey, you know, this normal that we're all going back to means that all these things that we've talked about will get stripped because the disability community is often thought of as this small pocket of the population. And in fact, we're one in four and we're the largest minority because we have such an intersection among different groups. That's not something to forget about. Our fear is exactly that, that kind of like the beginning of the pandemic when it started, it was, oh, it's only high risk people and you guys can just stay home. Right. And then as, as it slowly affected more and more populations, it was like, oh, this affects us too. Suddenly you have people that are supporting and arguing for the things, again, that the disability community has long since fought for. Pulling on that thread way back at the start of the pandemic, I want to say in April of 2020, I know ProPublica did a piece covering both Alabama and Washington state's disaster preparedness plans. And at the time, both said that people with intellectual disabilities were literally at a lower priority for life-saving treatment. Oh, advocates, yeah. yeah, like you're completely unsurprised by this. And advocates pushed back. But I was going to say, is this kind of thinking uncommon in the medical community? But I gather from your reaction, it's not. 
No, and throughout the pandemic, there were other similar reports like the one that you're talking about that talked about the triage of ration care. And the way that it kind of came out was several states basically said, if you have a disability, because you were not somebody that was deemed basically high value in terms of what you could do once you were treated, our lives were put way below those of other folks. Now we have all of these vaccines and things. And the big problem with that is access. There was a study that came out from the CDC, I think last month, that said there is less hesitancy among the disability community to get vaccinated. And yet, because of access issues, we're having trouble getting vaccinated. Even something as simple as there's a lot of sites that don't have the ability to handle folks with intellectual disabilities that may require some additional assistance, or even something as simple as actually registering for the vaccine. A lot of the websites are not fully ADA and 504 compliant, so we have folks that can't even register. One of the biggest fears right now is, of course, as these folks are trying to get vaccinated and mask mandates and things are dropping, a lot of the disability community is still very fearful because a lot of us can't get vaccinated. And people are having this mentality that, okay, well, I'm vaccinated so I can drop the mask and they're not looking to protect those around them that could be at high risk still. Oftentimes, people tend to think about illness in a very, you know, binary way. You get sick and then you get better. You survive or you die. And the greater population doesn't seem to consider that illness can really disable someone. Is this binary one you've seen play out here during COVID-19? I think the challenge is, of course, we're seeing folks now coming out with long COVID, right? And we're watching what that's doing to people that didn't think this would affect them long term. The disability community is sort of playfully called the prophets or the seers because we look at life And our experience is through a different lens of saying it's not so black and white. There are these nuances. And then folks who, again, come out later and go, oh, you guys were right. So it's it doesn't surprise me at all that this is happening. The hope, of course, is that we continue to bring awareness to these things. And so I'm grateful to be be here today. Of course. Um, I know a lot of times when issues surrounding disability are talked about, they're only talked about in the context of how they impact quote unquote, everybody else. What do you want traditionally able people to remember from this experience? The biggest lesson to take from all this, like I said, is the disability community has been hammering these things home long before COVID came. Now we have this pandemic landscape that is saying, look, these things are okay. They work. Don't suddenly decide, you know, you have to go in the office five days a week and commute. Even among the non-disability community, the great resignation is happening. And why? Because people are realizing, I don't want to do these things that weren't working for me. They're not helpful. They're putting too much stress on my body, my mental health. That's the other thing too. I think this pandemic has shined a big focus on mental health in a way that very few things have in recent years. Mental health is being talked about more, less stigmatized, which is, I think, a great win. Telehealth for therapy appointments, huge. Those are my victories. I think looking at this from a standpoint of, I have a service dog, right? So there's plenty of things where he and I are out in the world. And prior to the pandemic, I would say everybody is very, very nice and very helpful most of the time. But the pandemic gave me a bubble of personal space, which my dog is great and he's fantastic. And he's got all kinds of gear that says, give us our space, let us work. And well-intentioned people just tend to ignore that. And the pandemic made that okay. And I sort of saw this curve of people thinking, okay, the pandemic is in their mind over because that space bubble completely went away. For a lot of reasons, personal space, regardless of the pandemic, huge. I'm widely known online for my battles with rideshare. 
because of my service dog. That unfortunately hasn't changed much. I thought the pandemic might change that, uh, but that continues to be a battle so much so that when I went to go have my vaccine, I actually left him at home. One of the perfect times where I, I would absolutely want him there, but I, you know, I often have to make that calculus about, do I want to get to my appointment on time or do I want to build in rejection time to deal with three or four Ubers who say no before they say yes? So Ryan, we've been talking a lot about how access has been increased during the pandemic as far as telework goes, as far as access to entertainment. Can you tell us about what's at stake at this moment as the country kind of eases out of the pandemic within the next couple of months? What's on the line? Everything that we've, that we've talked about is at stake here. We've got folks with various kinds of disabilities who have finally felt like we have some semblance of being able to construct our lives in a way that works for us. And on top of that, we're not being shamed for it. Something as simple as food delivery and having your groceries delivered. It's not just for the people that are lazy, that don't want to go shopping, that don't want to brave the crowds and whatnot. It was a matter of health. And it still is for a lot of people. When the pandemic first started, I had a hard time grabbing Instacart slot because everyone was trying to do it. And there were folks who obviously were trying to leverage it who didn't necessarily need to because they had the ability to. And that took away slots for folks like myself who were using those as a lifeline. But now that's been normalized too. Even for a lot of the work that I do, being able to have this interview or any interview, if I couldn't make it to the station because there's weather issues, well, now getting on a Zoom call is not anything anybody thinks twice about because we have the technology and experiences and everybody's expecting it. So really what's at stake here to get to the heart of your question is our normalcy, our ability to live our lives in a way that is accepted and thought of as okay. A story you may have missed. Ingracia Figueroa, a prominent advocate for disability rights, has died at the age of 51. According to an obituary published by Hand in Hand, a domestic rights group she worked with, Figueroa's wheelchair was broken when she flew United Airlines out of DC in July. Figueroa had a spinal injury and a leg amputation that required her to use a specialty wheelchair. The obituary goes on to say that Figaro was forced to sit in a manual wheelchair for about five hours, causing pressure sores that caused her to be admitted to the hospital after she arrived home. Under the Airline Carrier Access Act, airlines must repair or replace lost or damaged assistive devices. Unfortunately, Figueroa's chair took months to replace. And by then, the loner she had been using worsened her health conditions. This isn't uncommon. In 2009, over 10,000 disabled people reported their wheelchair, scooter, or other assistive device had been lost, stolen, or damaged during their travels. According to the Washington Post, airlines damaged almost 30 wheelchairs a day during pre-pandemic travel. On Wednesday, the Justice Department sued ride-hailing app Uber over allegations it has been overcharging disabled people. The lawsuit alleges Uber's wait time fees are discriminating against disabled passengers who need more than two minutes to get into a car. But Uber said wait time fees were not intended to apply to disabled riders and that it would be refunding fees. On a personal note, this is my last episode with Is It Normal Yet? I am uh, incredibly proud of what Luke and I have accomplished this year. We created a show from scratch and made more than 30 incredible episodes. Thank you all so much for listening. And I genuinely can't wait to see what Luke and the show achieve in the future. Laura will be missed dearly. Thank you, Laura, for all you've done for the show. For the last time, this episode was hosted and produced by me, Laura Spitalniak. And me, Luke Garrett. 
Our cover art was created by cartoonist Audrey Garrett, and our music is courtesy of Lockspeed. Join me next Monday as the world recovers.